You're going to want to hear this. Our next in-person mastermind is coming up and we're doing things a little differently. Tickets are available to everyone. No membership required. Picture this, a day and a half of learning, networking, and problem solving with like-minded law firm owners who are as passionate about building the best law firm possible as you are. We'll kick things off with a presentation from sales and marketing expert, Dave D. If you don't know Dave, be sure to go back to episode 605 of the Maximum Lawyer podcast to hear him share how lawyers can stand out in a crowded market. Following his keynote and Q&A are the Mastermind Hot Seats. Every attendee has the opportunity to dive deep into their business obstacles with their mastermind group and coach. There's nothing like the energy of being with other driven law firm owners who are just as committed to their success as you are. We believe that nothing beats working on your firm in person, so join us in Charlotte on July 15th and 16th. This is your chance to break through barriers, gain fresh perspectives, and accelerate your law firm's success. Visit MaxLawEvents.com for full event details and to grab your ticket today. Run your law firm the right way. way. This is the Maximum Liar Podcast. Maximum Liar Podcast. Your hosts, Jim Hacking and Tyson Mutrix. Let's partner up and maximize your firm. Welcome to the show. Welcome back to the Maximum Lawyer Podcast. I'm Jim Hacking. Um, Tyson Mutrix. Jimmy, you've got some oomph into it. What's up, Jimmy? Oh, I've been up since four o'clock. So I went to the gym. I've been running around crazy. I'm hyped up on diet soda. So I am ready to rock and roll. I'm going to one up you. Okay. Just because I feel like it. I was up till 1 30 getting work done. And then I got up at 5 30 to hit the gym. So it's a grinder. It, yeah. It's grinder, baby. It's a, I'm going to, I'm going to feel it tomorrow. That's for sure. But very cool. All right. So let's get started though, Jimbo and introduce our guest this week. It is Colin Levy. He's a lawyer and legal tech author and speaker throughout his career. Colin has seen technology as a key driver in improving how legal services are performed. I'm not going to get into the rest of his bio because we're going to get to that in a moment. I do follow him on X. So do definitely follow Colin in there because he, he does share a lot of cool legal insights. Colin, or legal tech insights. Colin, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Colin, tell everybody a little bit about your journey into the law and then into the tech side of law because Tyson's right. I, I love your posts on Twitter. I I, I follow you often and, and you always have something smart to say, which is why we wanted to have you on the show. Well, I, I appreciate that. It's very kind of you to say. Yeah, you know, my journey kind of started off in somewhat a haphazard fashion, actually, because when I first kind of went to law school, at that time, I thought to myself I was going to become kind of a standard in-house lawyer, but I always had this nagging kind of bug in my ear about technology because prior to law school, I worked for a big law firm in New York making e-discovery databases. And so I got exposed to kind of the tech side of things and saw how useful technology could be in the practice and business of law. In law school, there was very little talk of that. And I thought, you know, that was a little bit weird because it was just sort of this bizarre alternative reality that didn't exactly reflect the, the real world. So when I graduated from law school, at that time, it was in 2010. And so it was kind of the tail end of the Great Recession. There weren't a lot of jobs available. So I kind of had to find work where I could, which meant taking on a number of different temporary roles for around a year and a half or so. 
But those roles gave me exposure to a lot of different areas, compliance, document management, doc review, contract management. Uh, and all those different areas, I saw there, I saw there to be potential for the use of technology to assist with all those things. In some ways, saw a little bit of those technologies at play. So when I first started working, I was like, you know, I really want to learn more about this space, but I don't know who to turn to. So what I did was I just reached out to people who seemed to be doing interesting things in the space, whether they were teaching, creating things, trying to create things, had created something and failed, had created something and, su- and succeeded. Uh, and those conversations really helped inform kind of my perspective and my journey. And then I grew the nerve to start sharing a little bit about what I was doing online and it was somewhat well received. And then I just continued to do it because I found it enjoyable for myself and got myself more and more connected with others. And it's just been a really kind of fun ride since. Yeah. It's really cool how you're able to just kind of, I mean, do something very simple, just share your thoughts on things over time. And it just kind of grows and grows and grows. And and, and you've done that with, with things like, like Twitter, you know, now, now X or whatever, but so you, you've did something that I think is very daring. You not, not just writing a book, but you wrote a book uh, recently, the legal tech ecosystem. And I, I think it's really daring because technology is this area that is so quickly evolving and you, you, you did it. So walk, walk us through the thought process of writing the book and why you, why you wrote the book. Being completely honest, it was a bit of a messy project to begin with because I had a whole bunch of just random writing scattered about that could possibly form the basis for a book. And back in 2020, when everything was locked down, I had not a whole lot of other things to do, really. So I decided to try to start putting together. But I also realized that if I was going to write a book, especially if it was going to be technology focused, it needed to be something that was going to be fairly timeless in that it would cover things, but not so specifically as to be naming things that were already out of date or potentially would be out of date. So what I did was I thought about how I approach learning things and sharing things in general, which is sort of through a anecdotal conversational type of way. And that's the same approach I took with the book where I kind of share tidbits of conversations I've had with others and my thoughts and reactions to those conversations and effort to really kind of introduce people to the world of legal tech without being so specific as to, again, sort of date the book, because I think the way to look at any type of technology is the concepts underlying technology are don't change that much, really. The tools themselves do. So I really focus more on the concepts and the themes and less on sort of specific tools per se in an effort to help, A, kind of achieve that and also, B, help ensure that the book was sort of a high-level accessible introduction to this world that otherwise can be somewhat intimidating, I think, to some I think you know that most of our listeners are like solo owners or, or law firms that might have a few attorneys in them. And, and I think sometimes there's a bit of a disconnect between sort of the ABA tech show crowd and sort of the legal futurists and the women and men running law firms sort of day to day. What are the practical things that those lawyers that our listeners need to know from your book? So I think there's a couple things. One is that there's a plethora of tools out there that don't require any kind of implementation, don't require any coding, don't require any kind of tech background at all. They're very easy to set up and just put in place. For example, Clio, sort of this practice management software that is well-known and been around for quite some time. Easy to set up, very accessible, and really doesn't require you to engage in any kind of strong learning curve and also is quick and fast to get set up with. There are also other tools 
low code or no code tools like Joseph or Brighter that allow you to kind of set up workflows and or potential small little apps for yourself that don't require any coding are easy to do, low cost. And so I think that's another thing to keep in mind as well, because I, to your point, Jim, I think there's a misnomer that technology is something that is expensive, clunky, intimidating, time-consuming. And if you're operating a small firm or a solo firm, you don't really have any time to waste at all because literally time is money in that case. So I think these tools that are out there that I mentioned are aimed at, at least a lot of them are aimed at small and solo operations because they understand that. And they also understand that they want you to use it and be successful with it and not be frustrated with it. And also they want you to be more successful financially. And these tools can help you get there by allowing you to spend your time more productively as opposed to spending your time on things that you have to do, but are time consuming or taking you away from things that perhaps can bring more clients through the door and more revenue in. All right, we're going to shift from that, from the more simple, the Clio, the very, you know, you know, out of the box, ready to go kind of a platform. Now let's shift gears a little bit to AI because, and, and Jim probably knew that was coming. I, I want to get your thoughts on what you think AI, what, what effects it's going to have on the legal field and whether or not you think it's going to be a net positive or a net negative. Well, this probably won't come as much of a surprise to either one of you. I think it's going to be a net positive, but... I think that as we've seen already being sort of really early stages of AI use, at least more, more broadly speaking, there are going to be bumps in the road. You know, AI is, well, itself is not new. Its accessibility is new. And I think people have to kind of play around and experiment with these AI solutions and understand that they're imperfect, that they are in some ways limited or biased based off of what they've been trained on. And, and quite frankly, you know, that they're very data driven. So they're only as good as the data that, um, that sort of provides the basis for these tools. That being said, I think we're going to see artificial intelligence continue to kind of replace work that otherwise would be done by humans that's r- routine, standardizable, time consuming and data driven. You know, for example, you know, reviewing a basic NDA or contract or perhaps even drafting a basic agreement or you know, looking for a trend out of a bunch of cases that came that you're researching for a potential litigation you may be involved in. You know, those types of things humans have been done, have been doing and can do well, but they take time to do. And AI can do those things much faster, more accurately. At the same time, you know, if you're looking for AI to provide you with, you know, a whole list of cases to support your position, as we've seen, that may not necessarily be the best use case for some of these solutions, because in an effort to help you, they're going to make up data because you've been asking the solution to provide you with something that it has to make up because it doesn't have access to that data. So I think you need to be careful using these tools, but really it's more a matter of just being competent when you're using them, i.e. being aware of the benefits and risks of using them as opposed to just assuming that these tools are just going to be perfect right off the bat. Going forward, I think AI is continue to sort of but, you know, ask the question, you know, what it means to be a lawyer, what it means to be practicing law, what it means to operate a law firm, because AI is going to continue to grow in power and continue to be doing more and more tasks. So it really kind of, I think, is going to demand that lawyers be more creative and be more collaborative and be more focused on sort of creating solutions as opposed to just providing answers to legal questions. So 
Al Gore famously said back in the 90s that the federal government was going to be paperless. And here we are, at least with USCIS, filing everything, almost everything still on paper. I'm wondering how how will industry deal with the government if the government's not ready for all these technological changes. In other words, I would love to be able to file my clients' applications completely online to have a portal where they just give us the information and it goes into the government. Like, have you given any thought or is are there any thought leaders on the issue of the outpacing of commerce versus the government? Yeah, I mean I think I think there is, you know, always been this tension between business and the government when it comes especially when it comes to technology, but plenty of other areas as well. And I think when it comes to sort of regulation of technology, particularly AI and others, you know, I think that the challenge for the government and the challenge for humans in general is that technology is going to continue to outpace anything that humans do or anything that the government does. And so rather than trying to keep pace with it, I think you have to always be keeping it in sight so you know how far ahead it is of you as opposed to trying to sort of just keep up with it. Now, more specifically with regards to the government, I think that the the challenge really is that if you're going to be thinking about regulating technology, AI, you really need to have experts who have a sense of kind of their current capabilities and where they're going. And I think the problem for government often has been that they don't have that level of expertise easily accessible and therefore come up with regulations or proposed regulations that tend to be sort of taking, you know, a hammer or something that would probably be better off using sort of a scalpel or something more specific to, to handle. And so I think that's an ongoing challenge. That being said, I think that the at least the U.S. government certainly, I think, is paying attention now to AI and the potential to regulate, given Biden's recent executive order on AI that kind of lays out some basic themes and ideas around kind of how to regulate. The EU likewise has has come out with some regulation as well. But it's going to be a challenge because you need to develop these things that are not just sort of set in stone, but have some degree of built-in flexibility because the technology is going to continue to change. So if you're going to regulate something, it has to be something that has the ability to kind of adapt to whatever comes down the pike as opposed to just what exists in the here and now. And, you know, look, the government is not particularly good at doing that. And I think that's in part by design because regulating, first of all, is hard. And second of all, there's a lot of competing interests around regulating anything. And oftentimes, you know, different interests went out for the better or detriment of, of various interests. So it's definitely challenging. And I don't envy anyone in government who is trying to tackle this. Uh, but certainly, I think there is a need for some form of ethical framework around the use of these technologies. Because, you know, if nothing else, to at least protect consumers and allow them to better understand the difference between something that's real and something that's been art. Are you tired of the marketing guessing game? Does your website feel more like a digital billboard than a client magnet? If you're nodding along, you're not alone. And it's time to stop the uncertainty and start getting real results. Let's talk about your marketing spend. Are you just shelling out money every month and crossing your fingers? Do you ever wonder what impact your marketing is really having on your revenue? Well, it's time to take the guesswork out of the equation with Rise Up Media. We've been working with them for over a year 
and the feedback from our fellow members has been fantastic. Rise Up Media is here to take your marketing to the next level. They'll even perform a full audit of your online presence, giving you the good, the bad, and even let you in on what your competition is up to that you're missing out on. And the best part, there's no obligation, no catch, no pressure. If you decide to work with them, their contracts are month to month. That's right. No long-term commitments tying you down. So what are you waiting for? To learn more about how Rise Up Media can transform your firms, visit riseupmedia.com forward slash maxlaw and rise is spelled with a Z. Riseupmedia.com forward slash maxlaw. Artificially created. So Colin, whenever I think of people like you and Dennis Kennedy and our, our buddy Kelsey Bratcher and my CTO Kashif, I I think like you all have like these all these like tricks and like all these little like tech tools that the rest of us don't really know about. So what would you say is like the number one piece of tech that's in your toolbox that you that you think is like your favorite and why? It's a good question. Honestly, I I find that uh, since I use the Microsoft suite of tools, I find that Power Automate actually is a really great, easy way for me to just automate things, uh, whether it's automate the creation of a document or what have you. And no one knows about these tools because they're free and accessible if you have Microsoft suite, but you don't really know that they exist because you just assume it can. it's just made up of Word, Excel, PowerPoint, all these. So that's probably one of my favorite tools just because of how easy to use it is and how accessible it is. And I also, you know, I would ha- also have to mention that probably my favorite tool, set of tools as well, or just, you know, I use a wide range of generative AI solutions. I kind of pretty much use them all. And they're all very, very helpful. I especially like the new GPT kind of agent that you can create. It takes a little bit of time to get it right, but once you get it right, it's great because it just speeds up kind of the time that you spend doing things. So I would say those are probably some of my favorite tools right now. I'm always experimenting, so I would say that, you know, my favorite tool now may not be the one that is my favorite, you know, in the next week, month, whatever. That's just the nature of, I think, my approach to technology and its use. Getting back to the book for a minute, there's a great quote in there that I I liked and I wanted to hear you opine on. While technology continues to advance rapidly in so many areas of society, resistance to technology within the legal space remains formidable, driven in large part by fear. Let's talk about that. Yeah. So I think that there is still, I think, a fair degree of, of fear of technology, but I don't think it's quite the same same fear that has existed in the past. In the past, I think the fear was kind of of the unknown and of, you know, of sort of, I don't know about this because I'm happy with how things are currently operating and all of that. I think the fear that now exists is one of, well, if I use this technology, am I going to achieve the right result? Am I going to get what I want out of the solution? Is it going to help me or is it going to potentially lead me astray by giving me incorrect information or what have you? So I, I think that fear, the fear has evolved, but the fear as an emotion still exists with respect to technology. And I think that lawyers in general, you know, look, are they are risk averse. They remain risk averse. They don't want to be the first to do anything. They want to be kind of the second, the third, the fourth. When it comes to technology in particular, I think that they kind of, they're more, a little more open to experimentation, but they'd rather have someone else experiment first and fail and learn from that other person <laughs> rather than them doing it. 
But they also, I think, acknowledge tacitly and sometimes explicitly the fact that technology is here to stay and it's, and it's important. And I think we've seen that through the creation of a lot of subsidiaries and law firms that are focused on the creation of technology products in collaboration with clients in an effort to kind of help show that these law firms kind of get it, they're with it, and they understand that technology is here as a, as a set of tools to help people. But nevertheless, it, I do think sometimes it is tinged with fear because, again, people in law often are just comfortable with being comfortable, don't want to leave their comfort zone. When I, I think that the only way you evolve, the only way we grow is by having some degree of comfortability being uncomfortable. I, I really do like that. So let, let's say that you're just starting out with uh, as, as a, a brand new lawyer. So you're just starting your firm. So whether you're a new lawyer or you're leaving a, an established firm, what do you think is the basic tech stack that someone should set up with if they're just going to launch their firm for the very first time? Sure. So I think that you need a few things. You need one thing to handle sort of the administration of the firm. So, uh, you know, a tool like Coil, for example, it handles kind of this billing, invoicing, all that stuff. Second of all, probably some form of a document automation tool, whether it's Gavel or some other tool to just kind of help you automate the creation of, say, intake forms for new clients and the handling of data that's created that's created on those forms and putting it in the right place so you can track correspondence and things like that. And then potentially a workflow tool like Proxy, for example, and admittedly I serve on the advisory board of Proxy just for sake full disclosure, to help sort of automate your workflow and understand kind of you know what's currently worked on, what needs your attention, and so on. So those are, I think, some of the basic tools you probably should have in place, and they're all accessible and inexpensive. Because the last thing you want to be doing when you're first starting out a firm is having to worry about kind of you know some of the administration stuff. You want to focus on getting clients and helping them, not on billing or like did this person pay this invoice, did I pay that invoice, and all that stuff. All right. Since I'm going through this right now, any advice, Colin, for when you're leaving one CRM and moving to another or when you're working on one piece of software and your your team is switching over to something else? We're switching our our sales software, our our CRM for cases and our phones all sort of at the same time. And I probably have some lessons for other people, but I'll share those in another episode. <laughs> Well, I think that I would suggest if you're in that position to kind of get a sense of kind of how things are currently in your existing system and how the new system will handle those things. And before you transfer anything over, really document sort of how things will shift so that that way when you're loading things in, you're not worried, you know, you don't necessarily set yourself up for making a lot of mistakes in terms of where things end up going as you transition over. I think also it's important to, you know, I think there's a tendency for people to move quickly and shifting. And I think when you're shifting something, especially a CRM or something else that's very sort of very much a foundational piece of your business structure, you want to make sure that you're taking your time and moving things over, doing it in a systematic logical fashion because otherwise there's a tendency for data to get lost, things to get corrupted or what have you. So I really think you want to take kind of a systematic approach and slow down to speed up. And what I mean by that is take your time initially and that will save you time later on from having to fix things that may have gone wrong when you kind of are completely in the new system. That being said, no matter how systematically you do it, there'll be a bit of a learning curve. There'll be kind of a 
oh, right, this is over here and it's not here anymore. This is here, what have you. So that I think, you know, you just have to get used to with any kind of shift along those lines. But I, again, I can't stress enough the importance, I think, of taking a systematic approach to, to shifting because you just don't want to move everything all over at the same time because, again, things can go easily astray. And you also want to understand that people move at different paces. So you don't all want to, you know, you don't want to force people to do things that aren't necessarily the best for them and how they work. You want to kind of meet people where they are and ensure that they're all moving over. They're moving over, but they're moving over in a way that works for them and allows them to still be productive and be helpful to those that they're seeking to serve and help. I love the whole idea of going slow to go fast. It's it's a common refrain at our office where we, we talk about it, you know, slow down, slow things down a little bit, and then you know, you'll be able to go faster because you're not, you know, having to correct a bunch of mistakes. So I really do like that. I think that's that's great advice. All right, Colin, we do need to wrap things up. Before I do, I want to remind everyone to join us in the big Facebook group. There's a lot of activity going on there. If you want to join us in the guild, there's a lot of great people in the guild, very high level conversations going on there, sharing a lot of great things there. Maxlaw Guild. Dot com And if you join the guild, you can also join us for our quarterly masterminds. The next one's going to be in Scottsdale, which is my favorite place to go. So really looking forward to it. And if you're, while you're listening to the rest of this episode, if you got something great from this episode that you really enjoyed, Colin's already shared a bunch. If you give us a five-star review, we'd greatly appreciate it. Jimmy, what is your hack of the week? Sometimes you have to understand the path in order to move forward. And there's a great new book out by a Washington Post reporter named Taylor Lorenz. It's called Extremely Online. It's about the history of the different social media channels. I'm learning a ton. I also find it very inspirational to make me want to go out and create good content. So real good book. Gary V had Taylor on his show. That's how I found out about it and uh, highly recommend. Say the title again. Extremely Online. Extremely Online. So I like the title. Very good. Thanks, Jimbo. All right, Colin, we always ask our guests to give a tip or a hack of the week. Could be a book, could be a podcast, could be you name it. What you got for us? I would say that my probably hack of the of the week is um, has nothing to do with tech or books at all. But really just take time for yourself. You know, we all move at a, at a quick pace. The world moves at a quick pace. Honestly, we need all probably would do well to give more time to ourselves and listen to ourselves. So that would be my hack of the week is listen to yourself. You know, if you need to take a few minutes to slow down, relax, whatever, do it. You know, your your body is very communicative with you for a reason. It's just a matter of you listening to what it's telling you. Uh, I love it. That's fantastic advice. Very good. All right. I am going to, my tip of the week is something that you actually started to talk about. And that is, I've been playing around with different GPTs you can build with OpenAI. And so I've built several myself. One of them, you know, I'll give you a couple examples. One of them, it analyzes settlement releases for me to pick out certain things that I do and don't want, which is which is good. And then it'll also draft them for me, which is kind of cool. And then I have another one where I've got it, it crafts arguments for me where I'll upload documents to it, like their pleadings, my our pleadings, and then it'll, it'll help me craft an argument for whenever I'm arguing to the judge. So, and I've given it specific instructions about the audience and the, the, the style and the tone. So it's, it's kind of cool there. I always had to tweak it a little bit, but I think that there's, there's really some really cool advantages to it. It can identify very easily clauses that, that, I mean, it would take me, I would have to read through the whole thing to identify it. So what I, it takes it seconds. So what I do is I upload it, I 
it, it identifies those you know, those red flags for me. And then I go through and I'm, and I, I read it again, just so I, I can make sure I understand everything fully, but it, it, it just allows me to not miss things, which, which is pretty cool. But the, the option, what you can do with it is, is just limitless at this point. So it's really cool. So check it out. All right, Colin, thank you so much for, for joining us for people that want to follow you. How do they follow you and how can they get in touch with you? Absolutely. So they can follow me on X, uh, C levy underscore law, C L E V Y underscore L A W. I'm also on LinkedIn. You can find me by my name and also go to my website, colinslevy.com. Stay tuned for a refresh of the website coming out uh, next early next year. And of course, if you haven't already uh, gotten a copy of my book, please feel free to grab a copy, Legal Tech Ecosystem, available on Amazon. Love it. Thanks, Colin. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Thanks for listening to the Maximum Lawyer Podcast. Maximum Lawyer Podcast. To stay in contact with your host and to access more content, more content. go to MaximumLawyer.com. Maximum Have a great week and catch you next time.